Hello and welcome to Divided by Brand, the weekly podcast show for entrepreneurs, business owners and influencers. If you want to learn more about branding, hear from industry experts and first-hand accounts about ways that you might find yourself divided by your own business's brand, then this is the show for you. Join me, your host, Dan O'Cook, a brand identity specialist with over 20 years design experience and founder of Vi Design Co. I'm going to talk everything brand, but more specifically, I want to go behind the scenes of real life brand challenges that businesses and individuals have faced that has left them divided in their mind or divided by the people around them. I want you to learn with me exactly what real life brand divides people have faced and by overcoming them, did they help to create success? It's the show that's going to have a host of different branding stories. I'm going to be speaking with people on personal branding, corporate branding. I want to speak with artists and designers, even streamers. I want to put these guests in front of you and get them to open up about their own brand divides. And I think you'll agree, that's quite enough jazzy intro. Can we just start the show, please? Hello and welcome to this episode of Divided by Brand. My name's Dan O'Cock and here's what's coming up on today's show. I've got a fantastic guest lined up for the Divided by Brand Spotlight feature. Her name's Lynn Power and Lynn was formerly an ad executive. She worked as the CEO of J. Walter Thompson's New York office, amongst other roles. Lynn has worked with some of the giants, the giant brands of the beauty industry. So think Clinique and think L'Oreal, you know, really top high-end brands. What Lynn did though, um, she actually decided to disrupt the beauty industry with her own product. And I say her own product, she has got a team that have worked with her to launch what is called Masami. She's the CEO of that business. And Masami is a selection of vegan and cruelty-free hair products that are formulated with a what she describes as a Wonder Ocean Botanical, Mechaboo. Don't know if I pronounced that right. Um, what they do at Masami is not only have they got this, this fantastic brand that they've launched, um, but essentially the product itself works to help rebalance the ocean ecosystem and it helps the local people where it's harvested in the northwest region of Japan. And this, that, of course, is the area where the tsunami hit in 2011 and devastated the area. So. Her brand really is doing good on all fronts. So I want to chat to Lynn about her journey up to this point, why she launched the brand, helped to launch the brand and the business. And I want to find out, yeah, exactly what she's had to endure to get it to the point where it's at now. I'm also going to ask Lynn who she's chosen as her boldest brand of this episode. Welcome to the show, Lynn. I'm really, really glad to have you on, and I'm really looking forward to explore, well, exploring more of your own journey and letting our listeners hear about some of the brands that you've worked with, as well as the brand that you've gone on to set up. Um, well, not yourself, but with a team. But um, I think what was keen, what I was keen to pick up on was that you've got all this experience with brand, and um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of pick your brains and see where you, uh, what you do, and where you start when it comes to launching your own brand. But first up, I'd really love it if you could just give me. I like to just recap with guests what they've done over the last uh, week or two. Um, if you've got some big wins, little wins, tell us what you've been up to. Just the last week or two? Okay. Um, well, it does feel like a little like Groundhog Day still. Um, so I'm, you know, it's that's why I said week or two, because it's like, you know, time has a new meaning I'm finding these days. Okay. 
Um, but um, we have been actually refocusing on some of our um, salon partnerships, which were put on hold when um, when COVID hit, really, because um, we just launched in February. And then we had been in discussions with several salons and then, you know, obviously everything closed. So the good news is things are starting to open up, although, you know, the headlines here in the U.S. are still quite scary. Mm. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm quite pleased that we've got some salons who are really interested in us and in clean hair care and we're moving those forward. So that's, that's what I've been up to. Um, so have you, have you took the, have you took the time to, with this kind of downtime that we're all, well, not all of us are experiencing, but it's like a, I think I could describe it as an intake of breath before like exhaling and starting the long slog of getting everything back, back to how it was at some point. Um, Would you say that you've, you've, do you feel like you've invested that time wisely? When I say time, I'm again, that was, you said it's a bit bit different with, I have a weird concept of time as well, but let's say over the last three months, do you feel like you've invested that time well back into the business? Yeah, I mean, when everything first hit, it was sort of like, okay, now what? Um, Because we had been focusing on some distribution, but we are a DTC brand at heart. So it was not a huge pivot to just go, okay, we're going to go back to, you know, digital acquisition and do more of that. Um, the, The one thing we did that I'm really happy about is just started to think about generating more content and interesting content, not just, you know, salesy stuff, but um, we really leaned into self-care. We did a bunch of videos with stylists, you know, we, we just started to think about what we could do that was a little more interesting. Um, and I found this amazing video app called Video Leap. Okay. Which is dangerous in someone like me's hands. Did <laughs> I say that right? Um, well, do. What does it do then? I mean, why is it dangerous? I'm intrigued. Yeah, well, it basically lets you edit your own videos. Okay. Um, so they, they, and it's very easy to use. So you can put graphics, you can um, obviously chop it up into any way you want. It's just got all sorts of effects and things you can do. So you can create dissolves and fades and like, it, you know, semi-professional, right? So that's why it's dangerous because I'm not a professional. <laughs> Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg on your phone, right? It kind of is. Um, so I've actually come become kind of addicted to this and we've made like 20 videos um, that I've just like edited on my phone. Wow. Um, and I think it, it costs all of like, I don't know, it's like $49 a year or something. So that's also what I've been up to, I guess. Well, I guess now that you mentioned it. I guess if a listener's thinking, what's that? I'll put a link in the show notes so they can go check it out. No, affi- right. no, yeah, no affiliation though. I'm not, uh, I'm not receiving anything off the back of that. So, and me neither, by the way, they probably have no idea. I've been, uh, I've been recommending them, but absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, look, I mean, that's a, that's a fairly decent recap. I'm, I'm, you know, I always like hearing what people have been up to, what, what stuff, especially in this weird time, what's, kept their business minds ticking over or what's helped them get through you know with tasks at work and that kind of thing so that's been really good to hear and I think we've made uh, people if they haven't already picked up on the fact that um, you you run your own business um, we're certainly going to move on to that and and let you discuss and tell us more about that just want to set the scene a bit more for the listeners of your experience and the background, um, your past history, where you've been employed. Now, you, I would say, have been at the the pinnacle of brand, the peak. You've been with, um, you were the former CEO of J. Walter and Thompson's in their New York office, and you've dealt with brands, as I said in the intro, the likes of Clinique and L'Oreal. How was it working for a business like that? What was the best thing about working hmm. for a business like that? Yeah, I mean, my my career span, my career in advertising, because I almost have like the advertising career and now the entrepreneurial career. And it's almost like, you know, totally different worlds. Yeah. But my advertising career spanned about 30 years and I worked at creative agencies. And to your point, I was, I was running creative agencies um, for the last probably, you know, decade of my career because I, also ran Arnold New York and I, I um, 
I will say it changed a lot, you know? So to, the answer to your question is a, weas- is a Weasley one on my part because I'm not going to answer it straightforward. It's all right. It's, it's like what it was like to work for those companies. It's like back in the day when I started in the business, clients had budgets, you know what I mean? And they paid 20% margins and, um, you know, you could really carve out a very nice career. And by the way, it was a lot simpler because really you were focused on top of the funnel stuff, you know, big awareness building kind of things. Mm-hmm. Brand building was, was sort of the, the way to go. Um, and then obviously with digital, I mean, everyone knows this, but you know, it's flipped on its head. And so, now working on those kinds of brands, it depends what you're doing because it's become so segmented. You know, you could be squirreled away dealing with uh, the e-commerce end of it um, with your head in a spreadsheet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or you could be making, you know, a hundred versions of Facebook ads to test, you know, do multivariate testing and spend your days doing that. So. Um, it's become a much more complicated world to think about how do you pull together this ecosystem for a brand of all these parts. Over, um, it's overwhelming, right? I mean, the thing yeah. I find is that everyone's an expert out there at the minute um, as a result of social media, and social media wasn't around. And you said back in the day, and I'm going to go back, I'm going to go on your 30-year timeline. So um, 1990, is this when you were... 1989. 1989, okay. Well, that's just before I got involved with it all, but I still got involved with the creative... It is the marketing sector that I started in. It was with print. There was no no internet, or internet was just starting out. And we still produced artwork by hand, so it was done... Cut, yeah. cut and paste. Um, it was literally with an exacto knife. Exactly. I, I learned how to use a 10A scalpel yeah. blade. I mocked up. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I did brochure mock-ups for clients so that they could hold them in their hand. <laughs> you know, yep. it wasn't just. And then people used to have to physically sign them too uh, to approve them. Absolutely. You used to walk them around and get them signed. Yeah. And you know, I loved doing that because I got to get. You know, I got to like, just spend a bit of time being like hands-on creative, I guess. Um, but that it was a different world. And but I. I feel quite privileged to have experienced that because now if a young person is coming into the industry they they won't they won't even know about that I would guess um yeah that's really an interesting point I mean I think what you're getting to which is one of the things I loved about the business is the craft mm. you know what I mean there 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 it used to be the sense of real sort of artistic ability and craft that went into making these things. Yeah. Um, and, and I've, and I've kind of blown that up with already what I said about video leap, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the craft of, you know, the, the, the fine tuning and the thinking about kerning on your layout and, you know, all that stuff, it's now so automated. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that, like when, yeah. when you do it, when you made a design or then you needed to mock it up, when it, when you got your hands on the paper and you felt it and you saw how it folded, you got an idea of papers, the weight of the paper, for example, and that it was going to be too heavy to fold with that many pages in, or, you know, you had to account for pockets in the back. You, you, not many people do it now, you know, um, if any, if I'm honest. Yeah, I, I think it's a good insight. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure there are still some holdouts, but it's a very, it's, it's definitely like a lost art for sure. I, I know, mean, I know. You know, and, and, and it used to be if you were, if you were an art director, you had to actually be decent at art. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and now, like a lot of the art directors that I've worked with later in my career, can't draw for you know for anything. Um, they 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 can obviously conceptualize and visualize, but they're not artists. Okay. So it's a different skill set um, for sure. Um, but now I feel like things really morphed into this digital space where everything's so analytical that creativity has become analytical, and a lot of these creative people have really really uh, struggled with how to evolve 
that thinking um, into a world that looks at, you know, the pixels yeah. <laughs> and the, um, and, you know, and the ROI and is, you know, blue is better than red and headline this size is the best way to make it pop, you know, things like that, um, which are all intended to drive performance, but certainly not conducive to creativity. So how do you feel, you know, now we've moved, obviously we just discussed where, how you got to the stage where you're at now. And do you feel like there was, or do you still dabble in that? Is that still very much part of that? I know you're in your business, but do yep. you still get involved in what you you used to do, even though you now run a business? Um, I sort of do in the sense that some of the basic kind of principles of marketing that, you know, I learned through my career are very much things that I've applied to my business today. So, you know, we're talking about a lot of executional stuff, but at the foundational level, you know, building a brand requires um, a basic understanding of the positioning, the white space, the narrative. I always love archetypes. Did you and I talk about that before? I don't remember, but- um, We might have done. (laughs) We might have, but archetypes, I think are one of my favorite things because it's just such a good way to shortcut for people what your brand is all about and your personality. And those things I think are still, I I would actually argue even more critical today because, because the market is so fragmented and the landscape is so fragmented that if you don't have those foundational things in place, it's very easy to look like a dog's breakfast and to veer off and to have like all this random messaging out there. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you start with the basics, right? And that is exactly what you've said, what the archetypes are. Um, It comes down to getting that strategy, right? Before you even embark on any type of creativity and engaging with a designer, right? Yeah, but it's surprising um, how, because I also, um, you know, had a brand consultancy and still do some consulting for mostly startups. And it's amazing how many don't think about that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, they go right from the product idea to the go-to-market strategy and they kind of skip all the branding stuff. Um, And a, a lot of times it's because they're engineers, you know, they're not marketing people or branding people. They don't really get it. But um, I think that's, yeah, do you think, kind of interesting. Do you think sometimes they get quite excited or taken along with it and they go, I've got my product, right. Can I have a logo and a website? I'm going to go out and sell it now. Yeah, they absolutely. And and look, it's, it's awesome to become enamored and passionate about your own product. I'm a huge supporter of that. Yeah. And I am about my product, but you also have to make sure that it resonates with, you know, your target and they understand what you're selling. I mean, I've worked on a couple brands where literally had, they, they had to explain to me, I, I literally had to say like, talk to me like you're talking to your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do? What do you make? What does it solve? And you know, it was very hard for them to do that. Like they, they almost couldn't explain it, you know? Yeah. And then you go, okay, well, if you can't explain it in that, those kind of terms, then we got to work on that. You know, you got to be able to boil it down. You can't just say it's an AI powered, you know, machine learning, blank, 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 um, and use all the buzzwords because I don't know what that means. Absolutely. And well, that's the, that's one of Marty Neumeyer's questions, isn't it? The why, the why question. And if you can't answer that, then, you know, how do you expect anybody to, to, to grasp what your brand is? Right. Um, Right. No, it's, I know it's, sounds so fundamental but it's true it's it's strange because i i know exactly what you mean because entrepreneurs are a, are a niche that i deal with and their, their energy and what and what they bring to the table is what i feed off as a creative because i'm very good at interpreting what they're trying to communicate but working with them to visualize it and get it in front of the right audience and received in the right way is what makes me tick, you know? And yeah. And it's it's a it's a skill that I think only comes with practice and experience, which sounds like you have in abundance. I don't know if you agree with me on that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree. I feel like it's an, it becomes an intuition almost. Mm-hmm. Um, where now I, I can literally look at something and very easily, and you can too, 
almost in my sleep go, okay, that's not clear. You know, this, this, you know, and just ask the right questions to get, to get to that clarity. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a marketing muscle that you develop over time where you, the more you do it, um, to your point, like the better you get at it and, and the easier it gets and the more surgical you can become also in, you know, how you deploy it. Yeah. I think it constantly changes, doesn't it? Depending on where you are and how you want it, the, the client even, you know, you can tailor it to what, how they are as a person to make sure it resonates with, with them as well. But I enjoy it. And it sounds like you, you definitely do as well. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing what you do, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. If you think about it from that perspective, like also launching your own brand while it's incredibly fulfilling is massive work. Okay. So everyone probably goes, yeah, we know, you know, that's not easy, but I think when you're doing it or you're going to do it, you do underestimate, um, just, just how much is involved. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, partly a little bit of optimism there and excitement and passion. You kind of just go, yeah, this is going to be great. And then, and then you get into it and you're like, oh shoot, you know, I got to think through all these different things. And I hate it. I hate working on my own brand stuff. I really do. Really? I find it, I'm, I, I nitpick with every little detail when sometimes the little details are, are irrelevant. You know, there's something yeah. bigger that I didn't look at or, I, I don't know. I find it, I find it really hard. Um, that's why I like to bounce. I do. You're a bad, you're a bad client. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I would hate to be. I'd hate to work for me or the other way around. Oh, that's I don't funny. Know. Um, so let's bring it forward. So you, you now are a founder of. I think are you founder of multiple businesses? Is that the best way to describe you? Um, yes. I mean, as I mentioned, I have a brand consultancy called the HMS Beagle, which I do with a partner. Um, and that's been for the last couple of years since I left JWT really working with startups. And that's where I've gotten a lot of my energy Mm. as like you said as well. Um, because we go in and out, we do it really fast. They need help. We get the foundation set and then we move on, you know, and I don't worry about all the executional stuff. Mm -hmm. But then I also launched my own brand. So that's, that's, that's what you're getting at. And that's, um, that's been, well, my role has been two years in the making on it, but my partner worked on it for 10 years. Right. Um, so this, just to bring yeah. people in there, this is the brand that is Masami, right? Yes. Okay. So I'm just going to get my notes so I can make sure that I'm on the right page with it because I, I try to describe it I kind of mispronounce I'm sure I pronounced some of the words wrong but Masami is the brand that you've first up was this a startup that came through one of your uh, as one of your consulting clients no, no this actually came through my husband who was a longtime advertising person as well okay so he he and I have these like we met at Ogilvy and Mather in Chicago so we met in advertising and then we worked at, I think it was four of the same agencies, but not at the same time. Because he actually worked at J. Walter Thompson like 10 years before I did. Okay. I was at BBDO 10 years and he worked after me. So he was at Publicis running Global City Bank. And there was a guy in his team named James, my partner, right. who was an Uber producer. Like one of these guys that just makes all this shit happen. Right. And you know, business like that is complicated. We were talking about big businesses earlier and what it's like to run them. And when you're running an account like Citibank, you can imagine all the moving parts and the skill required to like figure all that shit out. So yeah. James was a mastermind at that. And one day he went to Bill and said, hey, can I pick your brain? I'm, I've been working on this project on the side and would just love to get some perspective because I, I, I'm at a point where um, I think I have these formulations that I've created and I don't know what to do with them. And my husband has done a lot of categories, but he's never worked in beauty. And I've done tons of beauty. So he said, you know what, talk to Lynn, hook me up with James. And I was pretty astounded because this guy managed on his own, well, he hired a chemist but he managed to find the chemist, which is not easy, and the right chemist, by the way, who's amazing. Mm -hmm. And then on his own, he basically used all of his discretionary income over the last 10 years to fund the development of these formulations. 
And it took a really long time because it's really hard to do clean hair care and make it, you know, high performing without all the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. But he was really vigilant that he didn't want the sulfates, the parabens, the phthalates, and he wanted the products to be like massive hydration. So, well, let's tell everybody because yeah. at this point, we've still not, I've kind of not introduced what it actually is. And uh, we, know, we know the name, Masami, but yeah. I'm going to read the description when I'll put a link to the site. But Masami, the selection of vegan and cruelty free hair care product formulated with a Wonder Ocean Botanical, Makabu. Now, did I pronounce Makabu right? You did very well. <laughs> so, but the, the, I mean, that's kind of the description of the hair product, but then there's the other side of it, which is the support work to rebalance the ocean, the ecosystem, and also the local people um, in that Northwest region of Japan where the tsunami had devastated. So I feel like that sets the scene for what Masami is, right? Yeah, that's, that's quite, quite good. And so you've, I had a question down here, which I think you've already answered, which was how do you end up founding a hair care product? So you've you've ticked that box. We now know how you've got involved with that. Um, so carry the story on. So we're now at the point that he's invested, I, I forget how much he said, or he did, didn't even give a figure, but he, this guy's committed is probably the best way to describe you know, it. it. It's a great way to describe it, but it's also unusual, I find, because, you know, having worked in advertising and maybe you'll relate to this or not, but most of us that go into advertising tend to be a little more wired to be a little ADD, um, meaning um, like to work on lots of different things, get motivated by different, learning different things, different categories, you know what I mean? Yeah. We like to flip around to different problems, solving different issues um, and, very few people really stick on one thing for 10 years. <laughs> like, it's unusual. I think I've got a three-year maximum, so you're right. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. I think that's about most people, I think, and that's probably me too. Like, I've actually not really worked on anything probably longer than that either. But um, so for me, the first thing about James that struck me was just his sheer passion and commitment to your, to your point. And and the fact that he's willing to spend his own discretionary income for years um, um, consistently and keep at it and keep plugging away and know the formulation's not right yet, let's do this. Or, you know, now we need to test it on some people, you know, let's, you know, so he was just, um, I just find it, it's unusual to find somebody with that kind of, um, what would be the word resilience maybe or drive I don't know um, yeah well those words would, would be perfect um, it, I've only ever I have come across that level it's when it just resonates on all the right levels with that person so there's a Japanese term ikigai which is a kind of Venn diagram have you heard of the term before yeah go check it out if any listeners haven't but that is like a culmination of everything that should be or bring balance to your life okay mm. so he's he must have hit the sweet spot is all i can think of yeah that's interesting um i think i think there was a there's a deep um motivation in james to do something good and and help kind of help solve a problem yeah and when he, he spent 20 years at Clairol and he was, as I mentioned, an Uber producer before, and he was the guy at Clairol that would book all the models and deal with changing their hair color for the shoot and then changing it back after the shoot. And the models would be in tears because their hair would be fried <laughs> and he would be on the front lines consoling them. And I think he just really believed there's gotta be products that are gonna not only not damage your hair and not be toxic, but really make it healthier and better. And so it's just, he just had this real belief in that. And then, and then, you know, on top of that, we are very committed to the ocean and sustainability, hence why we started the Masami Institute. And that's an important piece of it too, because James is married to a Japanese man named Masa, hence Masami, Masa is really our muse. Yeah. Um, and that's where our ingredient comes from. And, and James was very much in the mindset of, you know, giving back to that that place where we take our ingredient from. So that was really an important part of how we built the brand as well. But um, he is definitely a unique individual um, in my experience. 
I, I agree. I, I mean, I'd, I, we talked, didn't we, about possibly getting him on the show, but it kind of deviate, deviates away from a normal format. So I wasn't, I'm not quite comfortable with the tech enough to get another guest on the show, but um, that could be a next episode one one day. Uh, it would be great to talk to him. Um, yeah. Let me ask you then, because you, you go on to found this business and, I, and you keep using the word we, is there anyone else involved in the business? Is there anyone else that you've had around you that's helped to not necessarily steer the brand? Well, yeah, I guess steer the brand. Has anyone helped you with that along the way? Or has it kind of been, right, Lynn's going to deal with that? Um, no, I, I will say I'm super lucky because um, having been in marketing and advertising so long, you know, I've got a really good network of people many of who unfortunately have been laid off. Um, but fortunately for me, <laughs> you know, are now, um, uh, available and willing and interested in, in, in doing stuff with us. So okay. I've got, we've got about eight people, um, in total on the team. Um, we've got a really incredible digital acquisition, person named Veronica Armstrong, who's done amazing things herself in her career. And she's been absolutely a rock star. We've got um, somebody who writes a lot of content for us. Um, we've got somebody who's kind of heads up more business partnerships. Um, so yeah, I definitely have help. Um, no, it's, and that it, I think- it's interesting because I, I have a whole range and a whole spectrum of guests on. And I think you're the first, first guest to come on so far that's had that level and that team that level of expertise behind you so it is nice or it's just different to hear um you know what goes on behind the scenes and anyone that's listening and has either followed or, or listened to a past episode and then gone on to look at some of the guests who are in their very early stages um, of setting up a business compared to if they go and look at what you've produced and it's important for them to realize that sometimes what's that what you can see is that face value you just don't see what goes on behind the scenes right yeah i think that's true i'm surprised that you you've talked to a lot of people who have not had teams because to me that's one of the most important things for success is building a, a, a really strong high performing team that can help scale because i mean i i you know, i'm one person and yeah, I do a lot, but like, oh my God, there's so much I don't know. Yeah. And I'm learning every day. And James also, like, so if it was just us, we, we'd be drowning. But, um, and I think, I think now with the gig economy really on the rise and with COVID making it even more on the rise, I think there are loads of talented people out there with all sorts of capabilities that would be more than happy to jump in on, on virtually any startup, you know? So yeah. And it's not, yeah. I agree with you, 100%, that team, to have that team around you. Um, I think that sometimes though it's more of a, it's more of a stage or a kind of uh, level that you get to before you go, hang on a minute, this is way too much for me or what am I doing here? Um, some of the guests are very, very early on, but it's, mm. you know, on the show, I just like to make sure, well, I like to hear what people are coming up against at each stage more than anything and so it's really nice to hear uh, the from your perspective that you've got that team in place but i guess with the experience that you've you've had you wouldn't you couldn't see it being done any other way right it's a good point because i've worked on so many brands and i've had so much experience with client teams and you know how they've been set up and what's worked and what hasn't and you know building out the agency teams and all that so um i think one of the hardest things for founders is to figure out what capabilities you really need and then find it because um i can tell you that even hiring people at jwt when i was there you know, people will say that they're, you know, digital ninjas on their resume yeah. and they really have no experience, you know what I mean? Or very limited. Yeah. It's like, you can make up anything you want to say that you can do stuff, but what people's actual skill set is, is often 
not as obvious until you really get to know them and figure out how to make them sort of yeah. bring out their best of them. And sometimes and so they've like, yeah, and, and sometimes they'll land on your doorstep and you'll be like, oh my God, what is what what have we hired? But then right. it's a case of actually getting them out of their shell and learning right. with them what they're good at, what you know, there's a there's some hidden secrets in people, right? Usually there are. And I found also that sometimes people have an aspiration to be in one role, but it's not that well suited for them. They are better in a different role. And mm -hmm. that's a process as well to kind of go, okay, it's not really working. Mm -hmm. I know you want to be a producer, whatever it is, or you want to be a copywriter, but you know what? You're much better at the strategy side, you know? And getting people to really see what they're good at. Um, but a lot of founders, I think that, I guess what I'm getting at is it takes a little, a, a lot of self-awareness to know yourself as a founder, what you're good at too, Yeah. because, um, the idea is to supplement you with, you know, skills that you don't have, right? Like you don't, you don't necessarily need to clone yourself and, and, and bring in 10 people like you, you, you know, so, so that's, that's a challenge I find with a lot of founders is, you know, they either don't want to admit what they don't know. Or they, if they don't know it, they don't know how to go find it. Yeah, I, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, and I kind of have a not a differing viewpoint, but I feel like the first person that will join me or in my business will be someone if I can find them that's nearly like me. Um, I think I, I wouldn't. Well, I think most people's reaction is, well, I'm going to get a junior on and I'm going to show them the ropes. But I feel like I would want somebody who is it, it can deliver the level of design that I can deliver, right? Why would I bring in a junior that I've got to spend a lot of time, I'm going to invest a lot of time in them to get them to a standard that I'll be happy with? That's true. I think in your position, like, yeah, like it, you could clone yourself in scale that way for sure. But I think when you're launching a brand that is e-commerce driven or, or frankly, any brand, you know, it could be B2B, whatever. Yeah. Um, there's so many different pieces to it and things that you need and things that you don't even know you need when you launch and then you realize you need. And so um, I'm thinking more along that line. It's like, you know, figuring out God, I really need somebody like an analytic expert on my team, you know, or mm -hmm. I need somebody who understands inventory management, you know, things that you're like, I, I didn't even occur to me that I would really need that, you know? Well, you've just said that and I have no idea whether I need it or what it is, if I'm perfectly honest. Right. <laughs> right. So there you go, case in point on that one. Um, awesome, well, let's, br let's bring it back to Masami, um, because I feel like we haven't quite uncovered all of that, but, so you've got this team around you, you've launched this brand and it's like, it's out there. It's, it's, is it getting big? Is it, what, have you got plans for it? Do you class it as a passion project? I'm just trying to gauge where you are with it all. Yeah, no, I, I, it's definitely a passion project, but I would say it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's not like a lifestyle brand, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And for, for me. It's more, um, we really see this as a huge opportunity in the market. We just launched in February, so it's brand new. Mm -hmm. um, and we launched New York Fashion Week when, you know, you could still have people all jammed together. Wow, you, you um, were on the cusp there, weren't you? You really were. Yeah, it was, it was in February and, you know, a mere less than a month later, you know, the shutdown started. So... Um, so I would say in terms of our, our vision, I mean, we really believe that clean beauty is the, is where everything is headed. I would say not just clean beauty, clean living, you know, yeah, whether that's agree is huge. You know, and if it's not huge, yeah. it should be. Yeah. And people are getting more and more aware of what they're putting in their bodies, on their bodies, why it matters, um, all that stuff. So I, I feel like we are hopefully um, one of the brands that's sort of forging the way. There are not that many clean hair care brands. There are a few, but not that many. Actually, 90% of the uh, products in the U.S. still have toxins in them in hair care. It's not good. Um, it's, and it's not good. No, but it's it's the way it's always been, mm -hmm. you know, and these big manufacturers don't want to change the formulations because um, people like them and 
you know, it's hard to find alternative ingredients for the chemicals um, and the detergents, frankly, that are in there. So it's not an easy road to try to create these products. And and I guess for us, the standard was really high because we, we wanted them to be super high performing and not just clean because there are clean products out there that have a bad rap because they don't work, you know? Um, and so it wasn't enough for us to just have a clean product. Um, so... Yeah, because people yeah, buy it once, it doesn't work, they don't buy it again, right? Exactly. And so we... The exciting thing for me is when I tried the products, I love them. And then when we launched, and granted this is, you know, four months, whatever it is from February, um, we have about 20% repeat purchase at this point, which that to me is the most exciting. Yeah. Like that should have been your win. That should have been straight up. We've just realized that we've got 20%. Yeah, that's true. There you go. That's a good point. Now I have it though. So I'll remember it for next time. Love it. But But that I think is great because that just shows like people really respond to the products. And I've had a few customers, a handful that have bought like four or five times. Like, so to me that says we're onto something, you know, this isn't just a niche thing. To me, it says you got your brand right. I hope so. <laughs> it feels like it. They seem like good figures for four months in. I mean, you, yeah. you've, you've got people interested and they've come back. Yeah. Are they spreading the word? I have some that are like crazy brand ambassadors that, you know, are constantly posting about us and telling people about us. So, um, yeah, the ones that I, the, the hardcore lovers for sure good um and that's been fantastic because i feel like the way we're building our brand is definitely like grassroots up we have no um traditional advertising whatsoever i mean we are a bootstrap startup that's Mm self-funded so you know we spend 500 dollars a month on marketing that is our budget (laughs) nice how far would that have got you in 1989 (laughs) Oh, I know, right? <laughs> Can you imagine? That would, have been, that would have been a half an hour of, you know, somebody's, uh, of a meeting, right? You might have got a third of a column in the back of a newspaper or something like that. Right, right. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. So, yeah, look, I think, I, I love hearing this. I think I'm excited for you because to hear that a brand has got the backing and, and the expertise of someone like yourself and then like, you're in that exciting phase, aren't you? It's like it's, it's taking off, taking off. Yes, although, um, as we said earlier, it is a little like with what's going on in the world around us, you know, every day you kind of wake up and go, okay, what's going to happen today? <laughs> yeah, but everyone needs hair washing, but is, it, is that because yeah. a lot of the marketplace, are they um, salons? Is that what you said earlier? Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely a, an important channel for us. Um, and, you know, it's it, with COVID, it's, it's been very consumer what's the word consumer sentiment i guess Mm. around various categories products or just in general how they're feeling about their lives has yeah had these big ups and downs you know it's like when people first got in quarantine it was such like a a new experience and you know and then people started realizing especially if you color your hair which i do and many other women do that like oh my god three months of not coloring my hair is going to be not pretty right, okay <laughs> and then you know then people started to research like quarantine hair and stuff like that you know it, but, but and self-care people started to go oh if i'm at home and i'm in my sweats i at least want to feel good so okay it just interesting to see how that's progressed yeah um, yeah uh, yeah yeah a challenge and interesting and everybody's well not everybody but a lot of people are facing the the same type of story the world over so it's the ones yeah well i feel like the ones that are who are embracing it and um adapting and listening um are the ones that should come out with you know smiles i guess is the best way to describe it listen to your audience yeah and that's good advice at any stage at any right at, at any uh, level absolutely so listen i've got a i've got a question that i put to guests then which is if you if you met yourself 10 years ago so you walk into a bar there's you 10 years younger what would you say to yourself 
I would have told myself not to wait so long, you know, okay. um, for what to, to do my own thing. Okay. Um, because I think, you know, you kind of get in this, um, zone where, you know, you're on this track, mm-hmm. you're somewhat complacent, um, because I mean, you know, it, um, it's a comfort zone, it's a comfort zone. And I probably should have left JWT two years before I did and, you know, just jumped in. But, you know, um, the circumstances were challenging. We had a big public lawsuit. I was dealing with that. Um, I didn't want to kind of leave people high and dry. You know, it just... Yeah, because I think think with anything, when you're committed and you've spent so long there, there's attachment, right? And it's not just as easy as saying, F this, I'm, I'm off. You know, there's things to consider. And that's the, that's the comfort zone that's really hard to break out of. Yeah, it is. It's very difficult. So, um, so you- but I think, yeah, I would have said, you know, and I say this to people I know as well who are still in advertising, but, uh, but miserable. Yeah. Um, that if you're that unhappy, you know, figure it out. You don't have to do what I'm doing, you know, but there's got to be something else that you could do. Um, and not be in this position where you hate going to work every day. I know it's because it, it's not good for you, your health. And when you're unhappy doing something day in, day out, where do you draw the line? And I went through the same thing as I was, where do you, where do you stop? I, I hear the same, it's a recurring theme with people who started their business. When they go back and if they were to repeat it, they do it sooner because- right. But the biggest challenge is how soon, at what point, you know, it's like that goes into a whole other deep yeah. conversation. But yeah, no, that's interesting. And I, I, I 100% get why you would say that to yourself. So you'd, you'd go back and say, look, get get your ass into gear, Lynn. Do, just get out and do it yourself. That's, um, that's your bit of advice for younger Lynn, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's this perception and maybe it's my age, that you know you're on, you're working your way up the corporate ladder, you know what I mean, and you always want to kind of like okay, I just want to get to that next level, and that's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of get to that level, and you actually realize it's not that fun. It's pretty <laughs> shit at the top, isn't it? <laughs> it kind of is, yes, it really is. And 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 it's not like like for me, I got into the business because I love the idea of solving business problems with creativity. You're not doing that when you're running, you know, you're a CEO of an agency. You're dealing with all the operational issues, the complaints, the fires, the mm-hmm. all the, the 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 not fun stuff. You don't get to actually do the fun, you know, brand building stuff. And then there's so, a complete reversal because you're like, man, I wish I was just back being a designer again at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> or I get. Yeah, you do. You kind of. Yeah. yeah. I I know exactly what you mean. It's like I remember when I just like was creative and my brain was you know enjoying coming up with new ideas or concepts for something um so yeah i i I know exactly what you mean so looking back then so you'd you'd say to yourself do stuff sooner but if we open that question up a little bit wider um it's it's kind of a question but it's i call it i call it a biggest brand dividing moment rephrasing it it's in other words how did you become when did everything change for you that is that one moment i kind of mentioned it but you know i was dealing with this lawsuit um and it was kind of the the start of the me too movement in advertising okay and my direct my direct boss was he resigned as as a result of it because it was we read about it in the new york post and then it was in the wall street journal and the new york times and, and it just wasn't it was very much out there but the reality is you know for the people that were left to deal with it me being the person on the front line it's it was just incredibly challenging um you know there were just so many you know, things to consider with people and legal and finance and all sorts of stuff that it just was not fun. Um, and that was when I really said, you know what, um, I, I gotta, I gotta stop doing stuff for everybody else and and do something, go back to what I love doing, 
Um, and that was the moment I think I said, you know, enough already. Um, so it was just something but, that it, it, you can actually, you resonate and you look back now and you think that was when it all changed. That was your, that was the line that got crossed. Yeah, I, I think so. But it probably would have happened eventually, maybe not at that point, but I mean, by now maybe because the industry is just going through such upheaval. Um, it's very difficult to run an agency of that size successfully mm-hmm. and profitably. Clients just are not willing to pay the, the levels they they used to. Um, they expect the same service, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, but don't want to pay. Um, and, and, and I get it because now with me on that side, I mean, we talked about video leap before, but like, I don't need to pay an editor. <laughs> I'm doing it myself. You can do it on your phone. So <laughs> I can do it on my phone. So it's like, you know, technology has made it so that the expectation for creative is so fast and turnkey. Um, that that craft that we talked about earlier also is is really not part of it anymore so much or for most clients I would say they just don't really want that and want to pay for it and so it's just a it's a tough time to be in that business and I think the 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 future agency is going to look very different um, than than the way it was certainly when I was in the business so if we've got anybody listening who is I guess feeling how you felt when you were approaching that change. So you'd you'd worked your way up, you'd spent, you'd dedicated your life to that point to get there. And the feelings that you were going through, what would you say to somebody in that, in in the same situation? And I know we said Uh, do things sooner, but I'm thinking more like, there will be people out there, you know, and they, they, they won't be happy. Um, you know, what could you give them a little bit of advice? I mean, I, I guess it's try to just do a little soul searching as to what drives you, what motivates you and what, you know, makes you happy at the end of the day. And um, if you're in a position that is just not fulfilling, um, you know, yeah, you could do it. It pays the bills. There are reasons people stay in jobs, right. Mm -hmm. That are very pragmatic, but, um, usually there's an alternative out there. And these days, again, because the gig economy is taken off and there's so many different non-traditional job options. Um, you know, I think, I think you can be more creative about imagining your future and not feeling like you have to be so trapped. And absolutely. I also think, I think about that as it relates to my kids too. I mean, I've got a 19 year old and a 17 year old and you know, the job opportunities for them that are interesting are not conventional. I mean, my son is a huge video gamer, you know, streamers. Like, yeah. There you go. He makes so, money playing computer games. <laughs> it's crazy, right? But that's a legit career for yeah. certain people. 100%. Um, um, just on that, the point that you were saying about what advice um, would you give to them, I really like that advice, the soul searching side of things. Something that I did, not when I was unhappy, but something that I started to explore um, was just to just to start up a hobby, something that I really enjoyed. I used, I, I'm an artist and I've done a lot of art over the years, but it was something that got put, pushed to the sidelines um, when I was advancing my career as a graphic designer and a brand identity specialist but going back and doing something that i loved and showing people that brought on this new wave of confidence and made me realize maybe there's something else i could do than what other you know except for what i'm pursuing as my career so if somebody's feeling trapped and they do have this longing to be, I don't know, well, an, an illustrator or they, I'm thinking complete extremes here, but if you're a banker and you've, you've got this talent for drawing and you wish you had followed that, pick it up again, dabble with it. Yeah. And you'll find that might gain some momentum. Show it to people. There's so many resources out there now Sometimes it's just that little flicker of 
Ooh, I liked drawing that. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I remember that's right. And they, they get that momentum. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, even you doing this podcast. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, right? Because, um, yeah, it's it's maybe you wouldn't expect somebody with your background to, to do it, but you're doing it and it's been fantastic. Like, so, and, and you clearly enjoy it. And I'm talking, so, yeah, to, I'm I, talking I, to new people. I'm networking as well. And I'm just more intrigued. I, I would never have got to talk to you, someone like you, had I not had the show. And it would have been long drawn out process to write a blog article around any of the topics that we've discussed, but we've got it all down. It's in audio. We've done it. And we will hopefully we'll stay in touch. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, you, you clearly are great at it and have a passion for it. So it's like, you've almost unlocked this other side of what you do level unlock level unlock we're going up (laughs) achievement unlocked for all those gamers out there anyway (laughs) that's right so interesting listen i think i've all the topics we've covered i'm kind of rounding things up here because i'm looking at my timer and we're getting towards an hour but i've loved all the topics but we've still got one little feature that i do put into each episode and i ask my guests to pick a boldest brand of the episode so something that means a lot to them something that's just high on their list of this brand is doing it for me right now you can't pick your own one um do you have a boldest brand i am going to go with something that feels a little conventional but um it is definitely a brand that i admire um and that would be nike and i and the reason I'm bringing them up is because I think what they've done during COVID is a great playbook for other brands to follow because they've taken a, a really holistic approach to how they're tackling it. Um, meaning um, they're not just making donations, which a lot of brands have done, that's great. Um, and they're not just making some of their, you know, product available for free, which they've done also with their, I think it's their training app. Um, But they've also taken a huge chunk of their marketing spend, which is significant. I mean, they are a brand that can influence, you know, a lot of our culture. Yeah. And they are, you know, tackling diversity and they're tackling staying at home. And, you know, so I, I, I think I would give them the gold star of, you know, how to, how to really I talked earlier about like the ecosystem and how complicated it is, but like how to think through all those different parts of your ecosystem and to make them fire on all cylinders. Yeah, and definitely not come across like you are taking advantage of a situation, um, which is so important to to actually treat the world and your customers with respect because they'll just pick up on it if you're false. So right. be who and what you are. And that's all people ask for, I think, or should ask for. I think so too. And, you know, people always talk about authenticity with brands and I always kind of laugh at that because it's like, okay, but what are you being authentic to? Yeah, <laughs> you, know? yeah. you have to know your values because otherwise, you know, what is authenticity really? But I think Nike is, is done a really good job with that, you know? Um, so hopefully they continue and I think they've gotten dinged to be to give the counterpoint because you know they don't have the diversity in their executive team or their board apparently but um, I'm sure that now that they are uber aware <laughs> yeah they will change that um, hopefully well I love Nike as a brand as well um, from a creative standpoint a visual identity they've just they're just up there with producing some some awesome stuff um so i like that choice well done i, I really cool, do cool. and the other brand that's part of nike that i actually adore is the Jumpman. so nike and michael jordan and yeah i don't know if you've seen the last dance series that's fairly recently been released have you seen any of that yet I haven't, but I've heard it's great. So I would like to watch it. 
I won't go down that route then because that's a whole different topic. But um, they kind of go hand in hand. But fantastic brands to um, to go check out. I'm going to put links in the show notes for all of this stuff so everyone can go and check things out. So listen, Lynn, I've enjoyed every minute of this as it happens. Um, but all good things must come to an end. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll say thank you very much for joining me on the show. Um, I loved being on. Um, great conversation and thank you. No, thank you very much. So here we are, the end of another episode. If you want to read more about my own work or my business, or if you feel like applying to be a guest on the show, which I am looking for new guests, if you feel like anything on the show has resonated with you on any level, please get in touch. You can do all of this via my website, which is danielocock.com. You'll be able to listen to more episodes on there. You can see some of my designs, some of my illustration work as well. You'll also find all my social media channels. So I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and there is some stuff on Instagram. You'll be able to engage with me directly on there. The podcast itself is available to download via most of the major platforms out there. So thinking Spotify, iTunes, things like that. If you like the show, then please don't forget to hit share and it'd be great to read a review or two from yourselves and just tell me what you think about the show. I will read some of those out at the end of each episode and I'd like to give some special mentions and thanks to anyone who does take the time to write one. And on that note, I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode and remember, if you're not proud of your brand, how do you expect anyone else to be? (music) 